Hi, hi, this is the Travelling Symphony Movie Club. This is our preview podcast for Searching for Sugarman. My name is John. And I'm Katie. Hello, everyone. And we're really excited to have the live watch along with you guys on Friday to watch a documentary that's so powerful and really stuck with us ever since we first watched it. And before we have a little bit of a chat about the film, here is a clip. The album was exceptionally popular. To many of us South Africans, he was the soundtrack to our lives. In the mid-70s, if you walked into a random white liberal middle-class household that had a turntable and a pile of pop records, and if you flipped through the records, you would always see Abbey Road by the Beatles, you would always see Bridge Over Troubled Water by Simon and Garfunkel, and you would always see Cold Fact by Rodriguez. To us, it was one of the most famous records of all time. The message it had was, be anti-establishment. And the one song's called the Anti-Establishment Blues. We didn't know what the word anti-establishment was until it cropped up on a Rodriguez song. And then we found out, it's okay to protest against your society, to be angry with your society. And if you haven't seen the film, uh, the documentary follows the extraordinary story of Sisto Rodriguez, a folk musician who released a couple of albums in the 70s. And it's quite the uh, incredible journey. Yeah, it's a really incredible story. And without wanting to give anything away, it really uncovers quite an extraordinary turn of events and um, really highlights how, especially back in those days, um, someone could be very famous in one country and completely unknown um, in the rest of the world. And if you were to live in that country, especially South Africa at the time, where there was quite a lot of government restriction, um, it was hard to find out about people like Rodriguez. He didn't exactly have an Instagram page. So it's quite interesting how for a very, very long period of time, people didn't know what happened to him or where he was. So it sort of brings you on this story of uncovering what happened to this man and what happened to his career. And it's very, very interesting. It's very difficult to talk about this film without talking about the plot and what happens because it's such a big part of the documentary. But what we will do is we'll play you a conversation that we had with our friend Bobby Parrott, who is a huge fan of the music of Rodriguez and of the film itself. So here we go. Here's our chat with Bobby. Stylistically, um, the film was shot in a way to be quite specific for the director, but he actually ran out of money before he could finish the film. Um, and having run out of money, he wasn't able to purchase the specific film tape that he was using. It was Super 8, I believe. And it was only um, because it was modern times, he was able to use an app on uh, our iPhone, which had a vintage camera feature, which he filmed a load of the final scenes on to try and make it match the Super 8 film. We've read all these stories about how they had their funding pulled and, you know, that it just sounded like such a nightmare to get the, the documentary finished. But he was obviously so... I suppose, motivated to do it and he found a way. Yeah, he somewhere found like this sort of tenacious determination to actually see it through and get it done when it looked to all intents and purposes like it could never get completed. It's very admirable and in many ways it's very fitting in the context of Rodriguez himself and how Rodriguez obviously led this life whereby he wanted to be a successful musician, which is why he went and started writing songs and playing in bars and eventually playing in bigger bars and signing record contracts. And no one knew what happened to him or how his story panned out. And so for this director to kind of, in a micro level, go through exactly the same thing as Rodriguez had, 
interviewing all these people traveling to South Africa, interviewing family members and journalists and building this narrative to get to a point where it kind of all just stops because he doesn't have the ability to go any further. The director kind of found a way to uh, see it through and produce this beautiful, beautiful film. The biggest part of what resonated with me is the music. I've always very much enjoyed uh, folk music and artists who have strong lyrical pedigree. When I heard about this story about this musician who was regarded for his lyrics as much as his music, it was obviously very easy to become interested in in learning about him and his backstory. And I mean, it's a crazy backstory, isn't it? So. It's just one of those incredible stories that you would never believe it if you'd heard it. And the way that it unravels is, is really quite sensational. From when we were looking at it, it's the dedication that one man, the director, had to make it is, is extraordinary. And I think that really comes through as well, the passion that he had for the source material and for, for the story he was building. It's a crazy thing to think about a narrative which was, it's taken 30 to 40 years to unfold for that period of time to have passed um, and for people to have kind of had this this absence of knowledge about what was happening with Rodriguez or indeed what had happened to him it's so unusual in the context of today where you would have constant access to celebrities and their lives and through social media and uh, googling and everything like that you know what everyone's up to roughly uh, it's very hard for people just to disappear. It's not just finding out in the space of an hour or two about a character. It's finding about 30 to 40 years worth of um, what's happened with this person uh, in that time. Something as well that it seems to be quite a big theme in lots of music documentaries is just how brutal and, and ultimately intensely unfair the music industry is and I, I mean I guess a lot of it is focused around the US especially when searching for Sugarman but it's such a shame the way that these artists are, are often just like farmed for profit <laughs> when when their souls are so like pure and all they want to do is create stuff. And I think with someone like uh, Sixto Rodriguez as well it's quite interesting because he is clearly as, as it becomes apparent from interviews with his family and friends he's quite a modest and humble individual those sorts of people are always ripe for the picking from, uh, I suppose, if we take the stereotype of the music bigwigs and the industry, which sort of churns and churns and eats people up and spits them out. And I think it's a key part of the film, which makes it so enjoyable, is how pleasant an individual Rodriguez is portrayed as. Uh, that personality trait is something which probably counts against him because it was very easy for him to realise he wasn't being as successful as he could have been and to accept the hand with which he was dealt as the film sort of starts exploring that there is obviously the narrative of the success which was ongoing in South Africa and the trail of money um, for the royalties from that where where might that have actually gone he was so naive to it in many ways because I think that was part of the music industry it becomes very easy to to root for him or root for his story in a way um, because obviously you can understand how he, like many others, will have been talked up as the, the potential next big artist. I mean, compared to people like Bob Dylan and Cat Stevens. And just a couple of years later, he's, uh, he's no one anymore. And people don't know what happened to him or, or where he went. One thing that always crosses my mind is, 
wow, how many other people are there out there that have this kind of talent that we have never heard of and don't know about and don't ever get their music out to the world? And the funny thing is, you sort of think about that in the one case as a sad thing, but then in the other case, you think maybe that's a good thing as well, that those, those gems, those yeah. gems stay hidden. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think for Rodriguez himself, the fact that he was able to be naive to it may have been a blessing because if you listen to uh, the interviews with his daughter, for instance, um, she is quite clear that Rodriguez being quite such a modest and humble individual was never fussed about the money. Something that we, uh, that is also, you know, is so clearly used in the film and you mentioned it earlier is his lyrics. I just wanted to maybe get your thoughts about what it is that you think presents itself so powerfully in his words and why you think maybe that they resonated with a certain nation at a certain point in time. Obviously in America, he didn't achieve great success as one might have assumed. There's a lot of producers who've been interviewed about him and they talk about how clearly talented he was as a writer. And me as, a, as an enjoyer of folk music, it's very easy to listen to his music alongside someone like Bob Dylan or Nick Drake and be puzzled as to why he wasn't successful there. Why he was successful in South Africa obviously ties in um, very closely with the fact that South Africa was struggling um, with sort of a heavily conservative government and apartheid. There were a lot of people who found resonance in his lyrics both in terms of how they gave a voice to just normal people and gave them a chance to sort of express their levels of contempt for the South African government and the restrictive nature of uh, the way they were running society. The anti-establishment side with tunes which were written predominantly in the context of America, that was obviously very easy for South African people to sort of take over into their society because being anti-establishment in one country can easily translate to being anti-establishment in another. Bobby really made me excited to watch the film on Friday night. I'm excited for the people who have seen it and especially for the people who haven't because it is a truly incredible story. And we're also in the process of confirming our guests for this week. We're hoping we might be able to have some guests for the live watch along but we have also um, almost confirmed that we'll be having a conversation with Simon Chin, one of the producers of the film, and a key figure in making sure that it made it onto the big screen. So that's just about it for our preview podcast for Searching for Sugarman. Make sure you join us on our Instagram page at TS Movie Club for our watch along on Friday, the 1st of May at 7.45pm. And we will see you then. Bye, 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 bye. bye, 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 bye. bye.